Part 6. Family Life The first time householders listened to Luang Po give a Dhamma talk or went to ask him for advice, they were usually surprised at the accuracy and penetration of his insights into family life. It seemed common sense to most people that the causes and conditions underlying family conflicts were specific to householders and impenetrable to a monk who had never married or had the experience of raising a family himself. But leading a large community over a period of years allowed Luang Po to accumulate a great deal of understanding of the problems that can arise in human relationships. The kind of conflicts that arose in a monastery were not as far removed from those in a family as might be expected. Moreover, the wisdom that arises from cultivation of the Eightfold Path had given Luang Po a comprehensive knowledge of causality in its many modes, including an understanding of the relationships between mental states and behavior, both destructive and constructive. On one occasion, a visitor was bemoaning her lot and told Luang Po how lucky he was not to have a family with all of the tangled problems that it entailed. He replied, I do have a family here in the monastery, and it's a big one. Listening to lay people, monks and nuns, unburdening themselves to him over the years was another rich source of material to reflect upon. Living at Wat Ba Pong is, for me, like being a dustbin. People come and throw their problems at me all the time. This person comes to complain and then that one. It's given me a lot of wisdom. His principle in teaching householders was a simple one. I teach them in the same way that I always teach myself. Marriage in the Buddhist culture, a marriage ceremony involves no religious rituals. It's considered to be a wholly secular affair in which two people formalize their commitment to each other in the eyes of their family and friends and the state. The bride and groom receive blessings from the elders of both families and sign an official register. Although the presence of the Sangha is not required for the validation of the marriage, it is common on the morning of the wedding for a group of monks to be invited to chant verses of blessing and to receive alms. If the senior monk is the teacher of one of the newly united families, then he may be invited to give some words of advice to the newly married couple. On one such occasion, Luang Po travelled up to a small village which had supported him and his disciples in the period before he established Wat Ba Pong to bless the wedding of the daughter of an old lay supporter. The house was packed with people who had known him for a long time. Luang Po gave advice to many newly married couples over the years. In Thailand, a favourite theme for such talks are the four householder virtues of honesty, self-improvement, patience, and generosity, as a foundation for a long, happy life together. Luang Po occasionally spoke about these qualities, but on this particular day, he adopted a more cautionary note. Married life was no bed of roses, and couples need to be prepared to work hard on themselves and the marriage to make it work.
Dhamma was the only thing that would give them the ability to deal well with the challenges ahead and make their life together auspicious. His talk was clearly not meant for the young couple alone, but for all the people gathered together to hear him speak. As he often did when addressing people who had known him for many years, Luang Po taught in a direct, plain-spoken manner, his voice nevertheless imbued with an obvious warmth and good humour. He began by telling the couple that the ceremony itself wasn't particularly important. It was how they conducted themselves afterwards that really mattered, an echo of the words he would use to newly ordained monks. An occasion did not become auspicious because of the ceremonies performed, and if animals were killed for a wedding feast, then on the contrary, the occasion would be extremely inauspicious. Auspiciousness was, in fact, a synonym of goodness and virtue. The couple's lives would be auspicious if they made efforts to live them in such a way that they grew in goodness, and if they were able to instill goodness in their future children and grandchildren. Luang Po went on to instruct the couple about the meaning of the word crop krua, the Thai word for family. He said that the reason why the married life of the Buddha's great female lay disciple Visaka had been so free of problems was because she had no unrealistic expectations, having received explanations about the reality of family life from a monk before her marriage. Now Luang Po was following in this tradition. His explanation of crop crua involved an etymology that was entirely original to him and provided an exposition of family life that, at first glance, seems overly grim. But it is difficult to overestimate the importance of context to understand the tone and import of oral teachings. Here, Luang Po was visiting old lay disciples, and his clever play on words, this is a culture that loves wordplay, would have delighted his listeners, tempering the directness of his words. Luang Po may be imagined to have a gleam in his eye, the audience, with the possible exception of the bride and groom, to have big smiles on their faces, and for there to be numerous meaningful glances and nudges amongst them as he speaks. You still don't really understand the meaning of this word, crop crua, family. First of all, Crop. Okay, listen to this carefully. You're breathing comfortably, moving around at your ease, and then you get hold of something and box yourself in. Crop. Can you handle that? Crop means that after you've been closed in there, you're cut open with a knife and gutted. Crop. And you can't escape. That's the etymology of the word crop crop. In other words, it means now you're going to be assailed by all kinds of problems. That's why I've come to give you some advice on how to deal with all this complexity in your lives and cut off the problems. Now you have a crop crua. You're living in a confined space. Your livelihood and finding the money to raise a family is more important than anything else. The ceremonies today are superficial. What is important is to create some understanding. He taught that it was important for family members to try to understand each other's point of view, 
They should learn how to be good listeners, easy to talk to, skillful in speaking in ways that did not inflame disagreements. They should not talk about private family matters with other people or bring disruptive issues from elsewhere into the family home. In words first taught to the great laywoman Visaka, they should not take fire from within the house outdoors or fire from outdoors into the house. Some places I've been to, family members don't understand each other at all. The husband and the wife, the father-in-law and the son-in-law, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, they all keep arguing away. And then they have to drag each other off to the village headman's house to have him help to adjudicate. Having to rely on the village headman is like somebody being out in the hot sun and not knowing how to get into the shade by themselves, or being thirsty and not knowing how to put water into their own mouth. That's pathetic. I've seen this in one village, where the headman was at the limits of his endurance, with people going over and over the same old matter again and again, with no end to it. People should know how to solve their own problems. In family matters, disagreements with your parents, or your children, or your grandchildren, you should know how to make decisions and resolve conflicts by yourselves. Patiently talk things through. You've all been children. You know it's difficult for children to understand their parents. You think you're teaching your children, but they think you're telling them off or nagging them. So, each side goes off on their own track, and you don't get on anymore. As parents, it's easier because you were once a son or a daughter living with parents, and so you've seen both sides. An adult can understand a child, but a child can't fully understand an adult. That's why it's difficult to talk to each other. But no matter the difficulties, the ups and downs of emotion, you're still able to live together. How? The virtue of respect. Even if your parents complain and nag, they're still your parents, and you respect them for that reason. No matter how angry you are with them, you could never kill your mother or father. If they weren't your parents, you might have by now. We get by because of mutual respect. Parents and children in conflict with each other were to learn how to step back from their feelings of hurt and frustration and reflect on the big picture of their relationship. Each had to learn how to release their attachment to resentments and fixed views. Give in to your emotions. When your children don't listen to what you tell them, then remember that you were their age once. As they get older, they will gradually understand. Sons and daughters should bring to mind how their parents have brought them up and cared for them. That's how it's done. Both sides letting go. Things settle down. You start to feel more comfortable and the tensions are released. It was mutual respect that provided the glue that held a family together through its ups and downs.
karavocha niwatocha, respect and humility. If there is mutual respect amongst all members of a family, between grandparents, parents and children, then even if there are misunderstandings, you can get by, because respect is dhamma. It's a principle that binds people together and prevents them from breaking apart. His message was that married life is one of shared struggles, of sacrifices. By practicing the Dhamma, couples could prepare themselves for coming challenges. They could make something good and auspicious out of their life together. Getting married, inviting your teacher to instruct you, is the beginning of the establishment of your life together. Before, you were a son and a daughter, and now you're taking the first steps towards becoming a mother and a father. Being someone's child isn't difficult. When the roof leaks, it doesn't leak on the children, it leaks on the parents. When there's no money, the shortages don't reach the children, it's the parents that go without. So, make your married life a good one. Make it auspicious. Finally, as the accompanying monks chanted auspicious Jayanto protection verses, Lung Po sprinkled lustral water over the bowed heads of his audience. Not breaking the pot Lung Po's talks often contained a current Dhamma riff. This was a teaching that might be based on a simile or a pun, or a passage from the suttas. For a month or two, this riff would pop up in his Dhamma talks on a regular basis, until one day it disappeared without trace. The term crop crua just featured formed the basis for one such riff on the pitfalls of the household life. On one occasion, he spoke of how small differences overlooked at the beginning of a marriage can fester over many years and leave elderly married couples with little in common. Keep a close eye out for this. The stronger the love, the stronger the negative emotion. To begin with, married life is not so bad. But by the time you're 50 or 60, you can find that your words hardly make any impression on the other. The old woman says something over here, and the old man sits listening way over there. By now, he wants to rig up a curtain between them. Why is that? Because of crop core. They don't know how to get through to each other. A child in the family is a source of joy, and yet, at the same time, it can be hard and stressful work for the parents. When a baby's born, the parents have to take responsibility for it. The baby has no idea of the burden it's placing on its parents. It wants to crap, and so it does, without any thought for the parents. It wants to run around, and you have to follow along behind it, cleaning up and making sure it's all right. Love was not enough, without cultivation of the ability to reflect wisely on experience. Raising children could easily turn sour. He sketched one scenario. As children grow, so does your love for them. Meanwhile, 
they become even more exuberant and naughty and even more disobedient towards their parents. The child just goes its own way and the two old grandparents that live with you start complaining. It's all so troublesome. There's always some kind of disturbance. Some of you who are sitting here listening today have probably experienced this. There was no one fixed way to raise children. Some people teach just a little, and the child turns out well. Some people teach a lot, and their child takes no notice. Then the parents have to harden their hearts and be stern. Lung Po said that parents should take the Buddha's advice that in any task, including raising children, they should consider themselves like a potter shaping pots. Their job is to keep their attention on making the best pot they can, given the raw materials at hand and their own skills. They need wisdom to focus on doing their job as parents in such a way as neither they nor their children suffer in the process. If they are sure that sometimes being stern is the best thing for the child, then so be it. The important thing is not to dwell on it in the wrong way and create suffering. It's not that parents are forbidden from having strong emotions while raising a child, but emotions need to be understood for what they are. The ideal was to solve family problems in the way prescribed by the Thai proverb in which the fish is caught and eaten with the lotus still unbruised and the water unmuddied. But unfortunately, he said, what often happens is that the lotus is bruised, the water muddied, and all the fish die in the water. But crop crua, these feelings of confinement and of being skewered by problems were just part of life he turned again to his own monastic family. I try and shape the clay into pots and not to let the pots break. I teach people how not to suffer and don't let myself suffer either. I teach them and I teach myself at the same time continuously. Some people only teach others. They're like the housewife washing the dishes. She sees their dirty and so she cleans them, but her mind is clouded. She's scowling and grumbling away to herself. She's scrubbing the dishes clean, but her heart is dirty. She's not looking at her mind. It's really saddening how she gets the dishes clean and makes her mind dirty at the same time. Is that what you want? Watch out. Sometimes you grab a broom and start sweeping the house. The children have left a mess. They're completely mindless. You grumble and grumble as you sweep. You sweep the whole house clean, but you don't sweep your heart, and you're suffering the whole time. Worry On one occasion, a woman came to see Luang Po, full of anxiety for her son. My children have no ambition. They have no drive to make anything of themselves. I'm afraid that they're not going to survive in the world. Lung Po, tell me what to do. I'd say that you've got the wrong idea as well. It's like mice living in a hole. When their children are small, the parents search for food for them. But when their children are grown, 
Do they still do that? Do they still dig holes for their children? No, that's not what happens. The young mice go and dig their own holes. Your children are the way they are. From what I've seen, some people, after their parents' deaths, become richer than their parents ever were. That also happens. And my advice is that you should think more generously of your children, and then you will be at ease. You love your children. When they're successful, you take their success as your own. When they do something bad, your mind dwells on their badness. You can't dig it out. You can't loosen its grip. And so you don't get anywhere. Bereavement Lumpur stressed that it was important to face up to the fragility of life and the inevitability of separation. The worst nightmare of a parent is the loss of a son or daughter. The untrained mind shies away from the very thought, as if by accepting the possibility that such a terrible thing might happen, it somehow makes it more likely that it will in fact occur. Luang Por maintained that it was wiser to prepare for any eventuality. It's as if a snake slithers into the room while you're sitting there, with your eyes closed. As long as you don't see it, you're unafraid. But the moment that you catch sight of it, then you become terrified. You jump up and rush about. It's like when there's nothing but love without wisdom. If you've never used your wisdom to reflect on that love, and the one you love dies, then you feel the loss as if 90% of yourself had died with him. It's a catastrophe. You don't know how to deal with it. Meditation and regular contemplation on the nature of change was a preparation for whatever life had to throw at you. It's as if you see the cobra slither in. Although it's poisonous, you are prepared and you may not even feel afraid. Perhaps you shoo it away or simply get out of its way. Despite its poison, it can't bite you. And if you're not bitten, then you don't get poisoned. On one occasion, he spoke to a woman who had lost her teenage son some time before and was still unable to let go of the grief. As she was a meditator, he went beyond words of comfort. At one point he said, You must understand that he was truly your son, but only on a conventional level. This particular lifetime, he took birth with you. The good and the bad things he did were his own. The length or brevity of his life was his own karmic inheritance. Through the process of becoming and birth, you simply gave him the opportunity to be born. If you look at it in that way, then you can be at ease in your mind. The time was now ripe to let go and see her grief through the eyes of a Dhamma practitioner. Her suffering now was through attachment to the conditioned perception of sun. Her challenge was to recognize that every thought of her lost child was a conditioned and impermanent event that arose and passed away in her mind and did not belong to her. The question was whether she was willing to let go. Cutting the Pie 
A wealthy female lay supporter once recounted the advice Luang Po gave her concerning her possessions. I used to think I'd divide my wealth, my fields and orchards amongst my children. I didn't think much about it beyond that. I just thought I'd distribute what I had, and then, in my old age, rely on my children to look after me. That was the plan in my head. But Luang Po must have known, because he warned me about it. If you're thinking about dividing your wealth amongst your children, you should first consider it carefully. It might not be such a good idea to give everything away. It might happen that your children don't recognize the debt of gratitude they owe you as their parent, abandon you and refuse to take responsibility. Then, when you're old, you won't have anyone to rely on. When you make the division, put one part aside for yourself. As long as your children and grandchildren know that you still have one part of your fortune left, they will look after you. Otherwise, you might end up like a rotten log that has no mushrooms growing on it and nobody paying it any attention. I reflected on Lung Po's advice and followed it. He was right in everything he said. He must have known in advance what would happen. It increased my respect and faith in him and I tried to follow what he taught me, to accumulate goodness by keeping the precepts and cultivating my mind.